Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Future Glory. All right. So if you were with us last week, you know we talked about our beautiful relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father as His adopted sons and daughters. Our adoption is what it was all about last week. And so we learned that whenever it was, when you authentically, right, genuinely, wholeheartedly put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, that at that moment, you were adopted as a child of God. And when you were adopted, here's what happened. God gave you a new name. And not only that, he paid for all of your sin debt, all of your sin, past, present, future, washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but he also has given you and I an amazing inheritance um, that we can enjoy forever and ever. I think that's cause for singing and dancing, but, but here's what you need to know. That being a member of the family of God is not always about singing and dancing. In fact, many times, it includes suffering. And so by way of review, let's look at verses 16 and 17, the two verses we left off last week. Okay, so verse 16, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so that, that, that inner witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts telling us that we're adopted sons and daughters. Okay, verse 17, and if children, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God and we're joint heirs with Christ. So everything that Christ as our big brother is going to inherit as the King of kings and Lord of lords, <clears throat> as his followers, as his children, we're going to inherit that also. Okay, but here's the rest of the story. If <clears throat> indeed we, what's the word? Suffer. Suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. And so Paul clearly says in verses 16 and 17 that yes, there will be future glory. But as we're waiting for future glory, we're going to experience present suffering. In fact, Paul said to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said, everyone, everybody say everyone, right? everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so have you guys noticed that much of what we believe as Christians has become very unpopular in our culture today? I mean, as lifelong followers of Jesus Christ, as, as those who've opened our hearts and received his gift of salvation and been born again, here's what you need to know. As those of us who are following the word of God, that much of what we believe runs counter, exactly opposite, of what our culture believes. Sometimes it feels like we're fish swimming upstream. Imagine a fish, right, that's alive, swimming upstream. As he swims upstream, the current is hitting that fish in its face, and after a while, swimming upstream becomes difficult. Well, in the same way, 
as we've been made alive by the Holy Spirit and we're following the word of God, what we're doing is that we're believing and we're living out God's will, which is many times going against the current. We're swimming upstream. And a lot of times that can become downright difficult. And so again, I want you to picture a stream. I want you to picture a current. And I want you to picture um, us as, as Christians and we're alive and we're swimming upstream. And then imagine our culture made up of a bunch of dead fish that are floating downstream. Okay? And so as the, the dead fish are floating downstream and we're swimming upstream, sometimes the dead fish will talk to us. Right? Sometimes people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who have rejected Christ as their Savior, who don't know what it means for the Holy Spirit to live inside of them, they have a certain opinion about us. And so as we're swimming upstream, you know, you may hear stuff like this from friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, you know, why are you going that way? Why do you got to always be different? Why won't you smoke this? Why won't you drink that? Why won't you party with us? Why won't you hook up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Why won't you live with your boyfriend or your girlfriend before you get married? Why do you got to be so weird? Why do you got to be so different? Why don't you believe in abortion? Why don't you believe in gay marriage? Why don't you believe that a man who thinks he's a woman can walk into a woman's restroom? Why do you got to be so weird? Why do you got to be so different? Listen, it's not that we're weird. It's that we're alive. We're alive spiritually. That leads you to your first point. If you're taking notes, <clears throat> any dead fish can float downstream, but fish that are alive, hey, we swim upstream. That's just what we do. And people can get mad at us. People can um, say unkind things about us, but we're alive. And so think about it just for a second as we uh, allow that to just sink into our heads and hearts. Those who have rejected Christ, Ephesians 2 says, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Okay, so imagine that stream. Imagine hundreds of dead fish just floating down the stream. Okay? We're going the other way. Why? We've been made alive by the Spirit of God. We're swimming counter to the culture. Why do you do that? Here's why, because it says in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, I'm looking forward to getting to Romans 12, we say what Paul said. Paul said, I beseech you or I beg you, <clears throat> therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living, everybody say living, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. You hear that? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't just do everything the culture does. Don't say everything the culture says. Don't believe everything the culture believes. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. God's word. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, as the culture floats downstream, as we swim upstream, have you guys noticed lately that now the born-again Christians often are called the troublemakers? Now we, as 
followers of Jesus Christ, by many in our culture, we're being called the troublemakers. And the result is that we're hated. Often we're hated, right? We're ridiculed. We're ostracized. We're gossiped about behind our backs. And by the way, um, if you've experienced some of that, just know this. That's nothing compared to what our brothers and sisters are facing over in the Middle East. Our brothers and sisters in, in faith, followers of Jesus Christ in the Middle East, many times they're losing their head for what they believe in. Okay, so whether you're talking about persecution in the Middle East or whether you're talking about persecution right here in America, the truth of the matter is more and more the world doesn't want us around. In fact, they would love us if we all just would go away. I hope God gives them what they want. <laughs> I hope the trumpet sounds soon and the Lord descends from heaven with a shout and we who are alive and remain are caught up to be with the Lord in the clouds in the air. Wouldn't that be awesome? And so God give them what they want, right? And so, God, and so Paul's saying, yes, future glory is coming, but there is suffering in this life. Part of being part of the family of God and he continues on that theme of suffering. Look at verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Here's your next point if you're taking notes. Our present suffering is not worthy to be compared with our future glory. Now, who's writing this letter to the church at Rome? Paul. Do you guys think Paul knew anything about suffering? Paul knew all about suffering, and he knew all about glory. By the way, later in the week, I want you to read 1 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 12. I'll just sum it up for you. In 2 Corinthians 11, it talks about how Paul knew all about suffering. In that amazing chapter, he writes um, about how he was imprisoned many times. He was beaten up many times, and he was uh, facing death in his life for the name of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, he wrote about the, the five times that he received 39 lashes. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine for your witness for Jesus Christ, they tie your hands to a post and they whip you 39 times? That happened to Paul five times. Five times he was whipped, and, not, and three times he was beaten with a stick, and one time he was actually stoned and left for dead. He wrote about the three times that he was shipwrecked, right? And get this, this is the one that kind of unnerves me. He talks about how for a day and a night, he actually drifted in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Can you imagine all night long hanging on to whatever, uh, and, and at night you can't even see what's below you in the middle of the Mediterranean, you don't know what's swimming underneath you? That's what happened to Paul. He wrote about when he was in danger, so often in his ministry for, for the Lord Jesus Christ, he was in danger in rivers and in the sea, he was in danger in the city and the country, he was in danger with robbers and relatives among the Jews and the Gentiles, he talks about the sleepless nights. He talks about when he was hungry and thirsty and cold, didn't have the proper uh, clothes to wear. And then he wrote about the burden that he carried around in his heart constantly 
for the churches that he started, that he planted all around the Roman Empire. Paul knew all about suffering. And Paul knew all about glory. So when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, what you find out is that Paul talks about a man that he knew. Everybody look at me real quick. A man that he knew who was caught up to the third heaven. And that man heard inexpressible words that are not lawful to utter here on earth. Many scholars believe that the man that Paul was writing about in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4, was Paul himself. And that Paul, probably after he was stoned in Lystra and left for dead outside the city um, in Acts 14, that it was then that he had um, this experience where he was caught up into paradise. He was caught up into the third heaven. And by the way, he heard inexpressible words that are not lawful for man to utter. Quick side note, it's not in the notes, but let me just say this. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you read. Don't believe every movie that you see about people who die and go to heaven and come back to tell about it. Listen, Paul went to heaven. He heard inexpressible words that he was not allowed by God to talk about when he came back to earth. And so just be careful. I'm not saying it's all false. What I'm saying is be discerning and don't believe everything that you hear about these people who go to heaven and come back and talk about it. Paul experienced suffering. Paul experienced glory. And here's his testimony in verse 18. Check it out. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, everybody, please look at me. At me. Here's scales. Paul would say, man, I've had a lot of suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And it feels so weighty in my life. But when I compare my suffering with the glory that's going to be revealed in the future, here's, here's what it's like. Bam! The, the weight of the glory in the future far outweighs the weight of the present sufferings. And it's the same thing, Christian, in your life. Right now, you may be going through a difficult time some type of heartache, some type of pain, some type of sickness, some type of persecution, whatever it might be, and you may be all consumed with that. Don't be all consumed with that. Renew your mind in the Word of God. Realize from Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation, other places in the Scriptures, that when you compare your suffering right now with the glory that's going to be revealed in the future, it's like this, bam, right? And so Colossians 3.2, don't set your mind on things of the earth. Set your mind on the things of heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so when Jesus returns or we take our last breath, whatever comes first, if we know the Lord, we're going to experience glory all around us. Right? Listen to this promise from Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, King James Version, mansions. Other versions, dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Okay? And so whenever Jesus comes back or you take your last breath, whatever comes first, you're going to experience the glory of that special mansion dwelling place. Some people don't like the interpretation mansion. Here's the thing. I don't even think a mansion comes close to what Jesus has ready for you. You're going to experience glory all around you when you get to that dwelling place in heaven. I believe it's the new Jerusalem that Jesus is preparing, which is going to come down out of the sky at the end of the book of Revelation. Not only that, after you're taken to heaven, later, as you continue to study eschatology, the study of end time events, you're going to, and me, we're going to experience the glory all around us in the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And then even later, we're going to experience the glory all around us in the new heavens and the new earth. But here's my point. We're not just going to experience glory all around us. We're also going to experience glory in us. Did you guys see that in verse 18? One more time. Let's read through 18. He said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed, what's the next two words? In us. You say, what in the world does that mean? Look at verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. He said the earnest expectation. I love that phrase so much. I looked it up. And it was so cool, I had to put it up on the screens for you today. So what does the words earnest expectation mean? Actually, in the Greek, it's just one word. There's the transliteration of it. And it means, quote, to watch with your head erect and outstretched. To wait in suspense. All right? And so in verse 19, follow this, the creation in earnest expectation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. So Paul personifies creation, and it's as if creation, if she was a person, is stretching forth her head, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. When you interpret verse 19 in the context of verse 22, you see that the beautiful picture that Paul is painting here is that of a woman in labor. How many moms in here have ever been in labor? Let me just see your hand for just a minute. All right, so you know what Paul's talking all about. In other words, just like a woman in labor eagerly waits for her child to be born, just like a woman in labor has this earnest expectation, she's watching with her head erect and outstretched, right? Has the baby come yet? This is really hard. And so I hope he comes soon, right? In the same way, creation watches and waits in suspense for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, that phrase, revealing of the sons of God, what in the world does that mean? It means our future glory. It's the time when the glory in us, okay, check this out. Again, whenever it was that you authentically, wholeheartedly, genuinely put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation, the spirit came in, remember this from a few weeks ago, and he made your spirit alive, 
Okay? And so, what is the revealing of the sons and daughters of God? Here it is. It's when that glory that is in you right now expands to include not just your spirit, but also your body. Paul defines what he means by the revealing of the sons of God there in verse 23. It's absolutely the redemption of our bodies. And so check this out. Right now, you've been made new inside. In the next life, you're going to be made new on the outside. Check out verse 20. He says, for the creation was subjected to, what's the word? Futility. In other words, right now, creation is not fulfilling what it was created for. It says, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it in hope. It's talking about when creation fell after Adam and Eve sinned. But at the end of verse 20, notice the word, it's hope. Okay, what's the hope? Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be, will be delivered. Will be delivered, not maybe. It will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Good news. Next point, if you're taking notes. When Jesus returns, he's going to reverse the curse. He's going to make all things new. You see, but the problem is some of you are like Lot's wife. You're in love with this world. And as judgment was coming to Sodom, and the angels were pulling Lot and his wife and his daughters out of Sodom, his wife loved the world so much, she had to look back, I love the world, and she became a pillar of salt. And so for some of you, this whole thing in Romans chapter 8 doesn't get you excited at all. Why? Because you're in love with this world. And even though you're a Christian, you may as well be one of those dead fish floating downstream. Listen, it's time to wake up. It's time to realize your inheritance. It's time to stop focusing on this life, which is just a vapor, and start looking on eternity, which keeps going for millions and millions and millions and millions of years. Thank you. Three people said amen, right? Am I right or wrong, guys? Hey, let's wake up and let's start thinking about what's in store for us in the future. What's in store for the future? When Jesus returns, he's going to reverse the curse. He's going to make all things new. Now, it said in the beginning of verse 20 that the creation, the whole creation, was subjected to futility. Now, did you know that it wasn't always like that? In fact, after God created the heavens and earth, six days of creation, the Bible says in Genesis 1.31 that he looked at all, all that he made and he said, this is very good. And so can you guys imagine what the world was like before the fall? Before Adam and Eve sinned? I mean, there was no deserts. There were no um, decay and death and savage animals. No, every fruit tree was bursting with fruit. Every river was crystal clear. Every mountain beautiful and majestic. Every valley lush and green. Every animal docile and peaceful. But then Adam and Eve had to do it, and they sinned, and what happened is that the whole creation fell, and a curse came upon Adam and Eve, and it came upon the entire creation, 
And so now the result of the curse is that we have disease, we have decay, everything's running down, and we have death. Because of the curse, now we have things like natural disasters, right? We have hurricanes. By the way, how many of you guys are praying already that God would spare Florida of a hurricane this year, right? If you haven't started praying, pray now. I was here in 2004. We started the church in April, and that summer we had two direct hits from hurricanes, okay? I know what it's like, and this is what cracks me up all the time. Young people, you know, in their, in their, in their teens, uh, uh, teenage years, what I hear them often say is, man, I hope a hurricane hits. And I'm thinking, your frontal lobe has not fully developed yet. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. No, but as a result of the fall, right, we have hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis and snow blizzards, right, and tidal waves and, and all these things, volcanoes. As a result of the curse, we have the animal kingdom, right, that in large part is completely savage. Have you ever watched um, National Geographic and seen the lion take down the gazelle? It's not a pretty sight. It's literally survival of the fittest among the animal kingdom. And because of the curse, mankind has become totally depraved. That means in and of ourselves, we can never save ourselves, that we need a savior because our hearts have been corrupted, okay? So even though the curse came, the good news is there's still hope. Look again at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Okay, so what's the hope? Verse 21. Because the creation itself also might be delivered. Is that what it says? Will be <laughs> delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What does that mean? That means that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to reverse the curse. In other words, what Adam gave up, Jesus is going to give it back to us. It's going to be such a beautiful thing. It's going to start with the millennial reign of Christ. Okay, here's what the scriptures teach. That at any moment, we don't know the day or the hour, please don't set dates Okay, but we, at some point we're going to be caught up. The bride of Christ will be caught up because we have not been appointed unto wrath. Jesus already took our wrath for us. And then that will be followed by the seven last years of history as we know it. When all hell breaks loose, seals, trumpets, bowls, it's God's wrath coming down on a Christ-rejecting world. That will be followed by the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not allegorically, literally. He's going to come back all the way down to the Mount of Olives. And he's going to come back, and then there's going to be a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. Somebody says, why do you believe in the millennium? It's what this book says. That's why we believe in it. When the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest you get nonsense, okay? I've told you this before. When I write my wife a letter, I don't expect her to say, I wonder what he means by that word. Maybe he means this. i got to find the allegorical interpretation. No, she reads it at face value. The Bible says there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ. You say, why? It's easy. It's because there's 
hundreds, everybody say hundreds, hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the son of David coming back literally and reigning over Israel and the entire world. That is not to be symbolized. There are people who are Christians that are amillennialist, ah, Latin for no. They don't believe there's going to be a millennium. They just want to skip straight to the new heavens and the new earth. Well, here's what you got to come to grips with. The Jews are God's chosen people. And one day they're going to look up and they're going to see the one that they pierced. They're going to mourn. They're going to repent. They're going to receive him as their Messiah. And Israel is going to return to the golden age that it once enjoyed under David and Solomon. And the son of David, Jesus Christ, will reign for a thousand years. That's what we look forward to. Okay, not just some mystical realm in heaven where we're floating around as spirits. We look forward to living and reigning in new bodies on this earth. The, revert, the curse is being reversed, and it will be completely reversed in the book of Revelation with a new heavens and a new earth. But before all that new stuff comes, there's going to be birth pains. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with, what kind of pains? Birth pains, together until now. Right now, fallen creation groans like a woman in labor. But here's the hope. If you're with me, just say amen here. Check it out. Here's the hope. Labor pains are always followed by great joy when a new life comes. I remember when my wife was in labor with our middle daughter, Mandy. We have three daughters, Megan, who's our oldest daughter, uh, who, by the way, is our Shine Children's Ministry director, and we're so proud of her and the, the job that God is doing through her. Uh, it's okay, you know, to thank God for the light that we see in the people that we're discipling, right? And so... Um, and then we have Mandy, who's our middle daughter. She lives up in Melbourne with her husband, Josh. And then we have Mary, who's our youngest, who, by the way, is getting married in September. And so my wife and I will be empty nesters after September. I don't know how to handle all this stuff. My wife and I have been dating each other a lot, right? So we really know each other when it's just us. But anyway, uh, for Megan, right, for Megan, she could have an epidural. When, when Mary was born, she had an epidural. When Mandy was born... She's in labor. We get to the hospital. The medical staff says, oh, I'm sorry, honey. Um, it's too late. You can't have an epidural. Again, let me see, moms. How many of you guys have been, how many moms have been in labor before? Let me see your hands. Okay, now leave your hands up. Leave your hand up if you've been in labor without an epidural. And then leave your hand up if you were in labor without Demerol. Wow, can we please give it up for all these women? That's amazing, right? You know, guys say, oh, honey, I'm suffering right there with you. You have no idea. Guys, take your top lip and rip it over your head. Now you got an idea of what your wife goes through in labor, right? And I remember she was there. We were in the hospital, and she's in labor with Mandy. And what happened is at some point, the doctor realized that Mandy's umbilical cord was tightly wound around her neck. And so it, the idea is we got to hurry this up so that we can avoid a serious issue. 
And so the problem was Mandy got stuck in the birth canal. Now everybody in the whole room is anxious. And Stacy's pushing and pushing, and time is going by and going by, and still no Mandy. And it was right then that we saw a completely different side of our mild-mannered doctor. Because this guy, literally, I'm not lying, I was standing right there. I was a spectator for the whole event. And by the way, you could sell tickets to this thing. It was awesome, right? It was right then that that doctor got up on his tippy toes and got that close to my wife's face and yelled, there's a total lack of effort here. I said, push. <laughs> and my wife, bless her soul, bore down and pushed. And like a bullet out of a gun, Mandy came out. <laughs> right? And, 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 and right then, the blood splattered all over my doctor. And his, I remember looking at his eyes are like this big. And, and you, right now, you're thinking, why are you telling us all this? <laughs> okay, listen. It's because labor pain are always followed by great joy when a new life is born. That's why. And so now we've got Mandy, and she's okay. They cut the umbilical cord. She's fine. By the way, her middle name is Joy. And for 22 years, this girl has brought nothing but joy to the heart of my wife and me. And I'm not going to cry. But anyway, because <laughs> she lives an hour away, and it's hard. Okay, so the bad news is that the whole creation is groaning and laboring in birth pains until now. The good news is Jesus is going to come back. He's going to reverse the curse, the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. And man, we're going to live forever with him. Look at verse 23 now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruit, everybody say first fruits, okay, of the Spirit, I'll come back to that, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our, what, body, that's the revealing of the sons of God and daughters of God, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, okay, we don't see it yet. We have justification, but not glorification yet. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Here's your next point. In this life, we groan in our mortal bodies. But in the next life, we're going to rejoice in our immortal bodies. Paul said in verse 23, even we groan within ourselves. He didn't say gripe. He didn't say complain. Right? That's not the idea. It's groaning. It's totally legit to groan. Jesus groaned in the Gospels. Okay? So we groan in this life. Right? We groan when we get out of bed. It's like, <sighs> Some of you guys who are in your 20s, you're thinking, I never had that experience, Pastor Mike. You will. <laughs> you will. Everything's decaying. Everything is aging. We go to work. We hit 95 traffic. We groan. We experience problems at work. We groan. We get sick. We groan. A loved one makes bad choices, and now they're reaping the consequences. We groan. We watch the news. We groan. We see our only choices for president. We groan. 
Can you believe this? There's 324 million people in this country, and this is what we have to choose from. So, just make sure, okay? Let me just say this real quick, and I'll move on. Just make sure this November you vote with your values in mind. Don't stay home, and just remember that there's probably going to be at least two, maybe three Supreme Court nominees that are nominated in the next presidency four to eight years. And so keep all that in mind. Don't stay home, right? But we've grown in this life. But the good news is in the next life, we're going to rejoice in our immortal bodies. Why, why do you know for sure, right? Because some people think this is all pie in the sky. It's all made up. No, 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 no. Look at verse 23. We also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the reason that we know is not just because we have a Bible, right, that has hundreds of prophecies literally fulfilled in history, setting it apart from any other religious book. That's why it's the number one selling book to this day. Not only do we know for sure because the Bible is God's word, but according to verse 23, we know all this stuff for sure because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. How many of you guys know the Spirit lives inside of you? His Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we're the children of God, okay? That's just the first fruit. That's the first batch, like a first batch of apples, a first bushel of wheat, right? That, that, that first bundle of apples or batch of apples, that's just a foretaste of a whole harvest that's coming, right? And so the Spirit living inside of us, that's just a foretaste of something that's going to be just as great, and that is the redemption of our bodies, right? In this life, we, re we, we receive the redemption of our spirit. In the next life, we're gonna receive the redemption of our bodies. Our adoption started in this life when we received the newness of the spirit. It's gonna be completed in the next life when our bodies are made new. Look at what Paul wrote to the church of Philippians. He said, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also, what's the next two words? Eagerly wait. See, because I got to stop here. Some of you are so focused on your problems and your issues and your heartache and your pain. No, eagerly wait. For who? The Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. I mean, you may think you're strong now. Just wait till the redemption of your body. You know, you may think you're wise now. Just wait to the redemption of your body. You're going to know even as you're known. I mean, you, you may think, I have joy of the Spirit now. Listen, just wait until the redemption of your body. And I know right now for some of you, you're thinking, this is all so far in the future, I can't even think about that. Listen, I had to send words of encouragement to four people just this week who had loved ones pass away. For those four people, that is a reality right now. So are you ready for the redemption of your body? When Christ makes you new, listen, you're gonna be holy you're going to be radiant. You're going to be dazzling. No more aches and pains. No more disease, decay, and death. You're going to be in a body that can never die. If you're excited about that, just say amen. amen. All right. Last two verses here. Last two verses. Likewise, 
The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Okay, so he's focusing back on this life and our heartache. The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession, that's prayer requests, for us with what? Groanings, which cannot be uttered. Some people think, you know, this is some type of prayer language that we're uttering. No, 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 no. Keep the verses in the context, okay? Not us groaning, it's the Spirit groaning here in words not, that cannot be uttered. We're not talking about any kind of words here. Verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. That's the Father. He knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He, in in, in uh, verse 22, the creation's groaning. Verse 23, we're groaning. And now verse 26, the Holy Spirit's groaning. <laughs> I could have titled the message groaning, right? But I wanted to keep it a little lighthearted and more positive. Uh, but here's your last point if you're taking notes. When times are tough and we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays with groans for us. Are you going through a difficult time? Now, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up, but I really want you guys to stay with me here because a lot of this is very applicable for many of you because life in this fallen world comes with lots of difficulty. Okay, so are you going through a difficult time? Are you so confused about whatever, whatever you're going through that you don't know how to pray? Listen, it's okay. The Holy Spirit's praying for you. When you're going through a difficult time, make sure you don't believe the whispers of the enemy. Check this out. And I'm gonna help some of you because here, here's what happens. And I've seen it for 12 years in this church. I saw it for four years in my previous church, okay? Christians start having a difficult time. And the enemy, like a lion on its prey, begins to whisper lies in their ears. And the lie comes something like this. What's going on in your life? Why are you going through this difficult time? Why are you going through suffering? I thought you were a child of God. And you say God is good and he's allowing you to go through this? No, 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 no. Can you hear him? No, 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 no. The truth is God's not even around. He's left you alone to suffer. And what happens, I've seen it for 12 years, 16 years, since I've been with Calvary Chapels, I've seen Christians listen to that lie. They stop coming. At first it's just, three times a month, then it's two times a month, then it's one times a month, then it's once every six months, and then now, where, where are they? And they're bitter because they went through some trial in their life and they listened to the lie of the devil. And so listen to the truth now. Just the opposite, God loves you. And God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So while you're suffering, he's right there. And not only that, check this out. The Holy Spirit, God, is suffering with you. While you're suffering, God is suffering. You say, where do you get that? The Holy Spirit's groaning. When you groan, you're suffering. 
You see, He feels for you. And you're confused and you don't know what to pray. It's okay, you don't have to pray. In that situation, the Holy Spirit's praying for you. And what I love about this, you say, what do I do? Here's what you do. You do Psalm 4610. 4610, Psalm 4610. Listen, be still and know that I am God. Now, I didn't even know what the words be still really meant before this week. I dug into it. There's always gold nuggets when you dig in the word, okay? It's not talking primarily about a posture. Be still, be as still as you can. Don't move. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. When you look it up, look the Hebrew word up, be still, one of the definitions means let it go literally hands off okay so you're going through a difficult situation you're confused you don't know what to pray it's okay the spirit of god he's with you he loves you he's praying for you according to the will of god and he's suffering with you groaning with words that cannot be uttered so what do you do you just let it go you just hands off and know that he he is god i'm gonna ask you guys to bow your heads please One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.